when we're treated like Paul was treated and just suffered for no reason, and we come out of it, we're not destroyed, we're not forsaken, we're not driven to despair, you know what that reflects on? It doesn't reflect on us. It reflects on Jesus. It shows the power of the gospel. It shows how strong the gospel message is, how transformative it is, how much good fruit it bears. So when you go through suffering, when you have been victimized, and you can pull through, and you can still proclaim the goodness of the gospel, how powerful a message that is. You are being used as a jar of clay by God to show his life in you. Hi guys, welcome to the Church Split. My name is Will, and we got Brian with us today. What's up, heretics? That's not nice. But don't forget to like and subscribe to the Church Split, because you guys know what we do here. We help you escape your church's echo chamber, learn to think biblically, and of course, always challenging that status quo that Mm. just doesn't seem to go away. So good to do. It's so much fun. (laughs) We just keep the the burdens heavy on our shoulders, and it's okay, guys. We'll we'll take the heat for everybody. We we just say what everyone's thinking. We know that, so it's okay. (laughs) Just kidding. But uh, today we are talking about how the victim culture and victimhood is anti-gospel. But before we do that, we want to always give uh, credence to our favorite comment. When we remember. When we remember. Which we did this time. Yes. It's got to be a habit we get into, guys. (laughs) So don't always take it as a guarantee. But the first comment, uh, we actually have two here because two of them were good. One of them was actually serious and one of them made me laugh. So you're going to get both. So we get two favorite comments from our last video on Genesis chapter 2. Joseph said this. Something about the narrative nature of Genesis, genealogies excluded, LOL, really just (laughs) does something for me. So I really appreciate this discussion. Some of the favorite discussions I've had with my fellow citizens stemmed from Genesis. Couldn't agree more. Genesis is one of those books that every time I think I'm done with, I go back to and I sit there and ponder on it like, and I try to pretend like I'm an intellectual. And we've had a lot of fun with with that series so far, so. Absolutely. And of course, I could not help but Dana this is the second time you've you've gotten a comment uh she said this came for the cult roasting staying for the challenging exegesis soapbox rants exceptional marriage advice and Brian I'm here I hate you (laughs) I hate you so much thanks Dana literally I you could thank me okay he was nothing before he met me Literally me uh, dragging Brian just for our very first rebuttal, and you looked so uncomfortable that entire rebuttal. It was so funny. <laughs> Go back, check out that. Oh, man. Yeah. I don't uh, know why I said yes to that, but here we are. Oh, now you're here. Uh, now, we, of course, guys, we did get our church split sign officially backlit. Some friends of mine made this. Now, uh, Tabby, our editor, has already had a fit that it's not centered in the squares. For those of you who do not know, this line in the middle was perfectly made to be perfectly centered with my desk. And then we had to put that up there. So when we remove the squares and this, the way the sign is designed, it's a very, uh, our, our logo is very strange. So it doesn't square up the way it's supposed to square up with the table. So we're, we're going to move some squares. So we're going to have to move some things around. <laughs> and that's not happening anytime soon because our, we're lazy. Uh, we're lazy. <laughs> I don't have time. Do you have time? Sure. 
Okay. I'm well, just kidding. Come, come over sometime <laughs> while I'm at work and get that done for me. That'd be awesome. So anyway, uh, guys, I wanted to talk about some things real quick because uh, there, what stemmed this episode was we recently did a response to Eric Skorzynski from Preacher Boys uh, leaving the faith. And he, of course, became apostate there. He left the faith. Now, a lot of people get mad when I mention apostate. But what, I, what I'm saying is just saying that someone's an apostate isn't an insult when it's the actual definitive description of what the word is. In Christianity, someone leaving the faith is called apostate. Okay, you don't have to like the term. It is just the term, and I don't apologize for using the terms. Okay, I'm not saying he's a horrible person. I'm not saying burn the apostate. I'm just saying he became apostate. Is that fair? Yeah. Just like other people got upset that I said something about snowflakes in the last episode. But when I say snowflakes, uh, and people are like, well, that's ad hom. Let me clarify something about the logical fallacy of argumentum ad hominem. Argumentum ad hominem is using an insult to discount someone's position. It is not saying that making a label or when somebody fits a description of said label is ad hominem. That, that's not the same thing. Okay, so saying somebody that actually fits the description of the definite definition is one thing. Using an, uh, an insult to discount someone's position is another. For example, Jesus calling people whitewashed tombs or a pit of vipers isn't ad hominem because he tried to reason with them for a while and then finally dropped the mic with an insult because they fit said description. Yeah, just same way calling someone insensitive or illogical or inconsistent. These are descriptions of what they're doing. Now, if you're using that as, as just a personal attack so you don't have to address their arguments, then that would be ad hominem. But if you're just describing someone, right. it's not. And so when I'm referring to snowflake culture or, or snowflakes, I'm usually dealing with talking about someone who's being irrational, uh, usually trying to shout you down and shame you into a position, and then not listening to you and purposely trying to misrepresent you and always try, choosing to be the victim, which brings us to where we are today. And we have so, a whole episode on snowflake Christianity, if you want to go. Yeah, it's only like 15 minutes. Is that's a really quick way of, yeah, if you want to be triggered. <laughs> <laughs> Microaggression. Alert, okay? So what brings me to the next point is we had people uh, on both sides of the aisle recently either super happy with us or hating us. And fun fact for you, uh, Brian, do you wake up in the morning hoping you get the internet's approval? No. (laughs) Not anymore. (laughs) Nope. I wake up in the morning and I see outrage and I go, hmm, seems like a Tuesday, and I move on with my life. We don't live for anyone's approval. And I'm going to say this. The church split, we've always been unapologetically bold, and we say what we mean. We mean what we say. We make sarcastic remarks because that's our personality. We're very open about who we are here. Um, If you click us, you know what you're going to get. Maybe if it's your first time here, you don't know what you're going to get, and you might need to click off. Welcome. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome. So with that being said, guys, um, what we're going to deal with here, because what people did is they took a 32-second rant that I went on about victim culture and the victim narrative. And those are the specific words I said. And you also said victim mentality. Yeah, and the victim mentality. And I talked about how molestation doesn't ruin your life, uh, you know, uh, different, and you can forgive your abusers, and we ought to try uh, to do those things. And people ate me alive for it. Um, And in fact, there was a whole bunch of things uh, that happened. So, well, and I think too, just to be fair, we agree that some things that could happen to people could ruin their life. But that's why we think it's so great that we have the gospel, because the gospel is what can bring you out of that. It can rebuild your status. life. 
And of course, your life, I mean, if you get hit by a mortar and you lose both your legs, yeah, that can quote unquote ruin your life as in you're no longer able to run a marathon and you're going to be in a wheelchair or what have you. Yes, those things can be ruined some, but doesn't mean it has to ruin your life entirely. It doesn't mean you can't adapt and overcome. Um, in fact, my brother, uh, David Hess, has a podcast called Rising Above that he started, and he tells this whole story about surviving abuse and how you need to rise above it. And it's funny because I had people slide in my DMs, and we had people trying to cancel us. It was hilarious because, again- It was funny. It was so funny. It was, <laughs> you apologize for this now or I'm out. Well, I'm not going to do that. I'm not apologizing uh, for me standing by the, my statements. To you be want, fair, we will apologize if we said- we think we said something wrong. And if you give us a good argument that we think, oh, yeah, you're right. That was maybe a little bit pushing it too far. We will apologize. Right. And also, we have an actual episode of me redoing the enti my entire approach to baptism because I got some facts wrong on one. And I mentioned that's why I'm redoing it. So point is here, guys, is that you might not like how we say things. That's fine. That's super subjective. We have people who love the way we say things. And, in fact, the way we've said things has helped God work in their lives. I'm not sitting there pretending like the body of Christ is so narrow that only the church split can fix it, nor am I naive enough to believe that, you know, we're for everybody. We're not. So the point is here is I'm not going to apologize for statements that I believe are true until I believe they are actually false. And mostly what I got was emotional reactions and not a solid logical consistency because what I said was actually clear to most people. In fact, people who I know were abuse advocates, I actually, uh, there's a friend of mine who's a survivor of abuse who actually, uh, he offered to come on, not just any abuse, he was raped repeatedly, offered to come on and talk about it because he agreed with my statements. So... Point is, we're gonna what we're gonna do here is we're gonna break down victim culture a little bit, and then how we respond biblically. Because I had some crazy things happen this last week, and honestly, I I think if you listen, you might actually hear where we're coming from, as opposed to just you want to dig in your heels. Because I think we have allowed our culture to control the narrative here, and not the gospel. And if you've already hit the caps lock key on your keyboard and you're ready for a response based on what we said so far. Maybe don't watch the rest of the episode. If, if this is going to cause you stress and get you upset, we're, we're not going to just acquiesce to people being upset with us with an emotional argument. If you have something that you think that we said that was wrong, bring some logical, biblical arguments back to us, and we will listen. But if you're just going to screech at us, we're, we're probably going to ignore it, to be honest with you. We might respond. But so if that's if that's already your mentality now... It's probably not worth watching the rest of this. Just be honest. Exactly. But for those of you who are actually here and want to understand why I said what I said, stick around. So um, it was clear, and I have some things I just have written down specifically that I wanted to address. So if you see me looking down at my iPad a lot right now, that's why. So it was clear to many that we were not minimizing the pain of abuse. You, Brian said it repeatedly. You're not minimizing it. And I said, yep. I'm not minimizing it, but rather that we must not buy the narrative that being a victim means that you cannot move on, that abuse ruins your entire life, and that abusers are beyond redemption. I believe that is anti-gospel, and I hate saying this on here because I we live in a culture that you can't speak about something unless you experience it, right? That's why no uterus, no, no opinion, right? Mm -hmm. That's what they'll say. No uterus, you can't speak about abortion. Um, and it, I say no infant, no opinion, but <laughs> if we're going to play that logical game, we can have it all day. Exactly. Um, or like I, 
there's been times where a kid's been really snotty and I've seen parents not handle it right. And I've mentioned it as a pastor, like, well, when you have a kid, you can talk to me about it. It's completely fallacious. Just because someone hasn't experienced something doesn't mean they can't speak to it. But I hate having to say this here because now we live in such a culture. I am an abuse victim. And I hate using the word victim because I don't view myself as a victim, but that's the word we see. We see. Let me just put it to you the way I put it. I have experienced abuse. I have experienced all forms of abuse by the time I was 10 years old, okay? There's nothing you can't, until you've experienced some of the things I've experienced, and that was one thing that's irritating me. Some people who didn't even experience abuse were telling me I was out of line. And I'm like, well, as somebody who is a victim of abuse and have multiple other abuse victims telling me that they stand behind my statements, and they're the healthy ones, oddly enough, the, then the people who were angry were the ones who actually, I would say, oftentimes are living in victim culture. I'm not saying all of you. I'm just saying a lot of the people who are reaching out to me were definitely people who still live in victim culture. Or at least trying to be allies to other people living in victim culture. And still, right. You're still stepping into that culture and essentially adopting a very worldly perspective in order to, to address our biblical comments. And I, this is not going to fly. And doctors and psychologists will admit, one of the leading psychologists in the world, that uh, is, he's controversial because of what he says. But Dr. Jordan Peterson has helped so many people. And his whole thing is taking responsibility for yourself, for what you can, and get up and move forward. Mm -hmm. Okay? So then also, what many of you guys don't know is that you fell right into my trap. See, I actually said what I said by design. The way I said it was also by design. And some people are like, what? And it's because of this. There's, we actually, for those who actually care about the drama that took place in the RFP network, there was this rising tide of victim culture stemming in the community there. And it was finding its way in more and more. We also know that many people involved in the groups, such as at Preacher Boys or other places, wallow a lot in the victimhood culture. So what I wanted to do in which I think I successfully did it, whether people want to acknowledge that or not. It's okay. I'm not asking you to, um, but I think it was successful. I wanted to create a fault line. I wanted to expose that there are Christians holding to an anti-gospel narrative within our very own gospel-centered group. The only way to do what that was to create a very bold statement, to make a very bold statement and create a solid line and create a scenario where people were forced to face their cognitive dissonance that and it worked because what ended up happening was a lot of people who wanted to stay there ended up leaving because guys as much as unity is important and now we don't that doesn't mean uniformity to quote nathan cravat i like that great point but also there has to be unity at the in the gospel and if your mentality is actually being preventative to the gospel it needs to be called out and what's funny is that people tiptoe all the time. I don't tiptoe. I, I just go for it, okay? And I think that helps because what many people don't know is that in church splits, things that you and I have experienced, when you try to toe the line and keep everyone happy, you make no one happy. Exactly. And you, you end up almost coming across as, as doublespeak because you're trying to make all sides happy, and you're doing it in the worst way. And it's, it's noble, it's a default reaction. I think we both had those same reactions when we went through some of those division times. Um, and but really, what you find out is the angry mob is going to be the angry mob no matter what, and you really can't you can't make them happy. What you can do is if you try to kowtow to the angry mob, you just make all the the logical people upset. Not even logical, just the people who maybe aren't outraged. Yeah, that's a better way to put it. Maybe the people that aren't aren't 
the, aren't engaging in the gossip, aren't engaging in the drama. Now they're like, okay, well now you're handling this wrong. And yeah, you might. So the whole point is, is that no matter what, you're going to run into that. So it's best to create a fault line to go. This is where we stand. Now, granted, I don't speak for the rest of the RFP network, but this is where we stand. The church mm -hmm. split. That's fine. You don't have to stand with us. You can disagree with us. We welcome disagreement all the time. Uh, so anyway. And we're willing to be proven wrong. I, I, I feel like we need to say that a hundred times because I feel like that's the accusation we keep getting. Even though we say it at almost every episode? Yeah. I get told all the time we're prideful, we're arrogant. It's like, no, it's just... I, there's this also weird thing that we, we struggle with understanding the difference between confidence in my belief and arrogance. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to be taught wrong. I have attacked my theology more than anyone else's theology. Trust me. Uh, you don't get to where I've gone. You don't go from where I was to where I am now without attacking your theology harshly. Um, it's not intended. Again, ideas are separate from people. But we cannot possibly keep everyone happy. That's just the reality. We cannot possibly keep everyone happy, and I will do my best to properly caveat, like to our Reformed brothers and sisters, I know I've made some of them angry lately, but we also have our own thoughts and beliefs. Brian and I do. We just have our own thoughts and beliefs. Just because you disagree with us does not mean we always think that you're heretics either. Just because we believe certain things have a certain logical conclusion, like I believe with, like I said, uh, uh, snarkily in our last episode that compatibilism is determinism with lipstick. That was a joke. Although I do think it kind of hold. you see my point there. And I think I still can hold to that just fine. Doesn't mean you have to believe with me and it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you have to agree with me or, uh, believe that we believe you're a heretic either. And honestly, sometimes we get the argument against us that we're too open to some of those ideas. And, oh, that's heresy. You guys shouldn't even say that that's not heresy. And, so which side is it? Back to we can't keep everyone happy, okay? <laughs> we, we just think you're mistaken, okay? I just think my brothers and sisters are mistaken, and uh, I will talk about the implied logical conclusion, just like you guys can disagree with me. Hey, we can all be friends. Finally, though, we do not, nor will we ever, bow to an angry mob. That's never going to happen. Brian and I have dealt with division for years. We used to try and keep everyone happy, as mentioned before, and we realized that it was impossible. We used to try to toe the line, but that just made things get worse over time and delay the inevitable. What we have learned to do, and this is, uh, I think, wisdom, actually, uh, that I learned. Because I, what people don't know is I originally, when I was a kid, I was a very agreeable person. And I eventually learned to be a disagreeable person. But what I was we, the same. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what we have learned, though, is to speak plainly and risk offense. We risk offending people. This does not mean that we are always right, but it does mean that we have put a lot of thought into something that we say. I cannot be held accountable for everyone's reactions. We can only be held accountable for our words and our hearts. And just because we put some, a lot of thought into it doesn't mean that we can't put more thought into it. So exactly. please, if you have some extra information or a different perspective, we would love to hear it. Right. And also, um, I, to restate my statement, I'm not accountable for your response. I'm only accountable for my heart and my statements, okay? So you can think what I said last time was horrible. I don't think it was. I actually think within the context, I said exactly what I meant and meant what I said. And I think that people like F4 Freedom, I think I can say that for Freedom supported us. He issued a public statement, so I just hope so. I can say that. But people understood what I said. Some people chose to take offense. And offense is oftentimes in the eye of the beholder. So, so, uh, so with that being said, well, just one last thing. Okay. We're not saying things to try to be offensive. Right. We're, we're saying things boldly, like Paul says to do. We say things um, with a lot of thought, and we try to not mince words. 
And sometimes when we don't put a lot of emotion in front of it and after it to kind of soften the blow, it feels like it's being harsh and aggressive. We're just trying to save you all that time. Correct. So with that being said, as we discuss victim culture, let me address to you why I think Christians need to truly think about this problem that we have. Okay. Which is, so I had this happen um, after my statements. I had a person slide into my DMs and ask me for clarification. I was like, yep, I made my clarification statement on Twitter and I posted it all over. And they were like, do you actually believe that a victim should forgive their abuser? I said, yes. Even if their pastor raped them, I said, yes. And they're like, I would never tell a victim that they should forgive their abuser. Jesus, and then this person literally said, Jesus is enough to heal. And ironically, what you just said was exactly against Jesus. And then this person said that Jesus said, if you hurt one of these little ones, that you belong at the bottom of the ocean. That's not what Jesus says. Mm -hmm. Jesus says that if you hurt one of these little ones or cause one of them to stumble or sin, so he's talking about causing them to sin, it is better that a millstone be wrapped around your neck and you cast into a sea, into the sea. He's making a, a parallel here and it's picturesque. He's not saying you belong at the bottom of the ocean. In fact, Jesus apparently found it worthy for him to for himself to die for you. So we're going to jump into this. So I think first things first, and that was a lot of words, but I felt like we had to say it and speak for ourselves within the network. So what is victim culture? So victim culture, I want to make sure that we understand there's a difference between being a victim and being in victim culture, but many victims associate with victim culture. Sometimes people who are not even victims even become a part of it and get sucked into it. Mm -hmm. Victim culture is quintessentially exemplified in the, quote, microaggression and safe space culture that we see in our country today. Okay. So what happens with victim culture or victimhood culture or victimhood mentality, that's the caveat here I'm making, okay? It has a tendency to take victims and keep them as victims. It's where people obsess over their victimhood and over their trauma and they stay there as victims and they don't have it and they don't move on. It also has a strange empowering element to it, right? People who are now victims can get away with not taking responsibility in their life, right? I don't take responsibility at work. Oh man, I was abused as a kid. I had so much trauma. Uh, I can't find motivation, right? Or in their family, oh, I, you know, I'm a you know, I'm a negligent parent because my parents were negligent and abusive to me. At least I'm not beating my kids or um, my behavior. Oh, I don't have to control my emotional state and the way I respond to people. Oh, you have to understand, I've gone through a lot in my life. So you're lucky I even, you know, I'm as healthy as I am. So I get to be bipolar and throw plates once in a while and have a fit and scream and cuss and swear at you, uh, whatever. Or, or all the way to the extreme of an abuser literally uses their abuse as a reason why they they are now an abuser. Right. Oh, I, I mean, I was beaten and molested as a kid, so I have to beat and molest kids too. Like, that's that's the same mentality there. Mm -hmm. It is. It's just you're dialing it back from that one step, you see. So uh, so we now, are, we now what we've done is we've given so much power to victims that they are the unquestionable authority in all things related to such, related to such or even more so. And this is what was happening in my DMs. I am an abuse victim. How dare you say I need to move on? How dare you say these things? I'm an abuse victim. I am too. Now what? We disagree. Now what we have to do is appeal to logic and we have to appeal and make proper arguments on how one should deal with their victimhood. Mm-hmm. You see the problem here? Just because you're an abuse victim does not mean you have a sole authority over abuse victims. Because I, as an abuse victim, would disagree with you. 
And so, you're not claiming authority over all abuse victims no, either. I'm saying that what we need to do is have a conversation about the best healthy ways to handle it. See, and I always encourage everyone, if you need it, see a professional. If you need so, maybe get some medication for a little while. Bottom line is moving on has to be the goal. And it doesn't have to be moving on the next day. Like, oh, you're raped on Tuesday, Wednesday, you better just get over it. Put some dirt on it and you're fine. That's not what we're saying at all. I even all. said in the last episode that could take years. Yes. It I probably will. That. It probably will. Depending on the level of abuse, it probably will take years. Right. But the moving on has to be the goal. If it's not the goal, then what's the point of any of it? I don't want to relive that every single day. I want to move on from it. Right? Is that, is that unreasonable? Do you want to relive your trauma? I don't. Anyway, um, in the social justice movements of today, it is this very victimhood mentality and culture that has allowed for even the riots, the burnings, and what we've all seen, the crazy feminists breaking people's signs, right? Like the crazy Burger King lady. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so it allows people to be unhinged and to not be responsible for their behavior. And what is ironic is that victims are mad because someone else wasn't responsible for their behavior. You see the issue again? I don't have to be responsible for my behavior because I've experienced a lot of horrible things in my life. But meanwhile, the horrible things that you experienced in your life was because somebody else didn't take responsibility for their behavior. It's the same thing. Stop being like your abuser. Ha. <laughs> like, and again, this is, I'm trying to use like basically consistency and that is what we do. Uh, that, that's the only reason why we even did the episode of Preacher Voice, because we've talked about all these other people who resigned the faith. It would be hypocritical for us not to do someone we're associated with. Same thing here. I'm trying to be consistent. If I wanted them to take responsibility, I need to take responsibility. Period. Yeah. Bar none. All right. So it is of no surprise then to people that, of course, I am an abuse victim, although I do not view myself as a victim in the slightest, even now. I hate saying that I'm a victim. I prefer to say that I've experienced abuse, as I mentioned before, but I am hardly a victim, and this is because I believe victimhood culture is actually anti-gospel. I believe it's against Jesus Christ. I believe it's against his purpose. Um, now, again, I'm not saying you can't pursue justice, okay? Absolutely not. Pursue justice. I'm not saying that. But to pursue with hatred is not okay. And... To hope the person, you know, oh, I hope they go to prison and get murdered and just get killed. What you should be hoping for is that that person finds Christ. That's what you should be hoping for, that the person repents of their, of their stuff, okay? You should hope for a life change. So now, hear me out to make sure I caveat better so that <laughs> way people don't get upset with me. Good job, I, Will. I am not saying that being a victim being a victim or experiencing abuse is anti-gospel. I'm saying victimhood culture is. You see how annoying this is, by the way? It's much easier when I can just rant and people can take <laughs> me. I have to keep caveating to make sure that you know everyone doesn't get upset. But we cannot help it if you, you know we cannot help if we are abused, right? That's the whole thing about being abused is that you can't help it and it's you didn't feel, choose it. You didn't choose it and it's violating to yourself. But we can help how we respond to it. So Jesus responded with grace to his abusers on the cross. And he literally said the words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And if that's not the gospel in a sentence, I don't know what is. And I would agree with our Calvinist brothers and sisters that when they bring up the death of Christ on the cross is probably the worst possible thing. The worst possible thing. The Son of God is being killed 
and taking on all the sin of the entire world on himself because we can't get our act together. That is terrible. I agree. That is that is probably the worst possible thing that could happen. And I think sometimes we forget that he showed grace on the cross. A lot of it. And uh, let me tell you something. When I got saved at 17, so I was right in an abusive home, right, in an abusive church, I was so angry up to that point. I fought. I mean, somebody somebody dropped a pin the wrong way, and I flipped out. I was just a wrecking ball, and I was angry, and I wanted everyone to know it because of how everyone treated me or how everyone acted, and I used it to justify myself. Well, I experience this every day. So if they're going to act scary and intimidating and abusive, I will bring it up a few notches. And now it was like, that's what happened. Every time they'd bring up the heat, I'd bring up the heat. Yeah, you're escalating. Yeah, but then bam, 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 bam. Suddenly, you know, we're, we're at each other's throats, literally, okay? But then when I got saved and when all that stuff was exploding around me, I remember having peace in this weird chaos, and I was just looking at everyone in the room. And then I spoke with grace and peace and directly, and it was so disarming to the people in the room. Almost like that works better if you try to harness the gospel a little bit there. But anyway. Well, you talk about that before, too, that just know your natural mentality, right? If your natural mentality is a fight, then when you feel like that, maybe that's when you need to be given grace. And if your natural mentality is just to give lots of grace, maybe sometimes when that comes up, maybe you're like, maybe I need to push back a little bit. Yeah, maybe turn so up the heat. Understand yourself. Understand your sometimes your greatest strength is also your greatest weakness. and. Yep. So we try to think about that all the time with what we say here. Exactly. So what is the gospel then? So what I'm saying is anti-gospel, what do I mean? The gospel is very simple. It's basically repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. If you repent and believe, you shall be saved. Okay, that's basically it in a nutshell. Jesus Christ died for you. You said took the sin on uh, of the entire world, and it was funny because I was wondering if you're going to go a penal substitution route for a minute <laughs> when you and I are definitely uh, ransom theorists, theorists. But that's a discussion for another time. I was being careful with my words. The gospel offers a hope and a morality, okay? So one of the other things, so if it's repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, if you repent and believe, you shall be saved. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. You believe that he was killed, buried, and rose again, you shall be saved. If that is the gospel, that someone paid for your sins, the gospel offers a hope and a morality. Let me explain. It tells us that we are sinners and under condemnation, but God is good and paid a ransom for our sins. So we have morality there. Well, one of the best parts about this morality is that we see God prefers mercy over judgment. Mm-hmm. It tells us Thank that, goodness. <laughs> yeah, right? If, if Jesus was like half you internet mob, we'd all be screwed. Anyway, it, it tells us that we are sinners and under condemnation, but God is good and paid a ransom for our sins. So also that there's condemnation. Condemnation means that there's got to be a law. There's morality, right? There's right and wrong. Mm-hmm. It also gives us the hope because it tells us that we are valuable enough for Christ to die for. It gives us hope of a healer and someone who can make all things new. It gives us a hope. It gives us a morality and it gives us a hope. The gospel is able to show us what is right and what is wrong and gives us hope for something greater than ourselves, that he can make something new. He can turn something that is evil into good. The gospel is able to do that. And victimhood culture speaks directly against the gospel. Again, let me explain. You, you hanging tight, Brian? I'm, I'm just listening. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, what I said, I ranted this to you the other night, and you're like, that's a great point. So I'm hoping uh, y'all will get my, my genius here in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> now, these are things actually, so to be fair, before I jump into that, these are things I had to think hard on mm-hmm. for a long time when I was working my way through things. And hopefully maybe I can save you guys the 
process. Okay, maybe. So again, gospel gives you a morality and it gives you hope. But victimhood culture speaks directly against this. It says that the only person who deserves condemnation is the abuser, not you. That their sin is far worse and unredeemable than your own. So you have a skewed morality. It is, I'm better than him, right? Well, at least I didn't abuse nobody. I've lied, I've cheated. Maybe I had an affair. I have a pornography addiction. I have all these different things. Uh, I, you know, I'm loose-tongued. I gossip. I slander. I do all these horrible things. But man, I never slapped a child. I've never done that. You see the issue there? It's a skewed morality. It's putting their sin above your own. Which we all have a tendency to do. This mm -hmm. is the natural inclination of mankind. Correct. It also says that you're damaged goods. Victimhood culture does. It says that you're damaged goods, that you're broken. You're unable to pull yourself up from the ashes of brokenness. So you have no hope, and you just wallow in self-pity. So you go nowhere. You don't move on. There is no growth. You have zero hope. You know, you just got your PTSD that you got to live with, and, you know, hopefully your medications help because nothing can help you get out of there. It's hopeless. How is one to get past her PTSD hurt and suffering with such a message? How? You're never going to be able to. Well, man, you're just broken, you know? You experience too much in your life. You're broken. You're just shattered and sh in shambles. You got no hope. So it says also, and this is the part that I know I'm <laughs> stepping into a big crap sandwich, okay? You're good at it. But y'all <laughs> aren't ready for this next part, okay? It says that the abuser is beyond salvation. It also and it says that they're beyond redemption, or repentance, that they deserve to rot in hell and that they belong to, in prison for all eternity. And there also is no hope and there is no gospel or rede redemption there. It is only condemnation. So you have a skewed gospel because you believe that your morality, that your wrongs aren't as bad as somebody else's and that you can't ever move on because you're just broken, right? You're broken, you have no hope. Um, you're just damaged goods. And it uh, says that the abuser is beyond redemption. And again, I ask you this as far as the abuser being beyond redemption. How is one to ever want to change? How is an abuser ever to want to change the depravity of their nature with such an awful message? Man, we put people in prison and we're there for reform. How are they supposed to ever reform? And actually, it's an issue I have in general. People... How many people go back into selling drugs after they get out of prison? Most of them. Why? Because they can't get jobs. We don't allow redemption. We don't allow a second chance. Yeah. Well, I think what they said, too, is half right, right? Where they're saying that they deserve to, you know, suffer forever. Um, yeah, so do all of us. I mean, we've, we have all sinned. We have all we've gone all against the, the great creator of the entire world, the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, Holy Spirit, we've gone against them. We don't deserve life. We deserve death. It's not just the abusers. It's all of us. Correct. So you're half right. Right. We all, we all, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So this means that the, and I, I think about this all the time because I've helped in prison ministries. And what you guys don't realize is though these people in prison have done horrible things, They've also experienced, most of them have experienced horrible things and they just didn't deal with it in a healthy way. And you know what's funny is when you meet some of these people and you talk to them, you get their brokenness. 
And then you know what the best part about it is I can offer them hope of redemption. Again, I mentioned in the last video, uh, I mean, uh, the Eric video, the preacher boys, about the Muslim mother whose son was murdered and she told the murderer, I forgive you, I will visit you because now you are in my life and I am responsible to love you. That's a Muslim. And you Christians can't, can't pony up a little bit? We got no hate about that comment. <laughs> Oddly enough. And there's also Christians who have done the same thing. You can look it up. Uh, a couple years ago, there was that same one where a woman's son was killed, and she went up and hugged the person who accidentally, the, the officer who accidentally mm -hmm. shot her child. Yeah. There's so many stories of this. Grace is so powerful. And can you imagine if we chose to show grace more often to the people who hurt us? Not saying you don't pursue justice, but giving them that second chance is there's a reason why. Paul talks about how the grace of God and the and having grace amongst believers is what pulls people in to be better. Why do we do better? Because of the grace of God. Not and that's undeserved favor, right? God's mm -hmm. not given us everything we deserve as far as like bad stuff. He's given us grace. If we have grace, by the way, don't you Calvinists go running off? Okay, other people can talk about grace. All right, <laughs> hold up right now. All right, but, we like grace too. Okay, <laughs> but it's like we have unmerited favor from God. He's mm -hmm. given all people grace because He cares about His creation. And what? Why? Why do I love God? Because He first loved me. So, man, why don't we show that to other people? Could you imagine looking your abuser in the eye later on and going, "I love you and I forgive you and I hope one day you will repent." And if the person does repent, could you imagine the power of you looking at them in the eyes and going, I forgive you? Imagine if you saying that to your abuser is so powerful to the point where they never abuse again. Right. Because of the shame and the humility, yet the unmerited favor. Now, I'm not saying you have to be best friends. I have reconciled with some of my abusers. I already told the story about my mom on this program, and I'm mm -hmm. going to repeat that again. Go check out this episode right here. Okay? But... The point is, is that you can reconcile. And I remember that moment when I reconciled with my mom, I felt like a huge burden came off my shoulders. And that woman has, you have no idea the amount of things that I experienced in that household. Um, it wasn't just a few mean words. Let me just put it to you that way. I can handle mean words. That's why I do what I do. <laughs> so anyway, that was a whole tangent. I didn't, I was, whoo. Yeah. All right, way out the rabbit trail we go. Yep. Um, but again, there's no, there's no more. So in victim culture, you have a skewed morality and you have no hope. The gospel is counterintuitive because what it does, it goes against our very nature to be self-serving. It goes against our nature to be self-serving and wishing to wallow in our own hurt because it's a lot easier to wallow in our own hurt than to start fixing ourselves. If we are afraid to take responsibility for our own lives and it makes it so much easier to just say, well, it's someone else's fault that I am here and that I am where I am. So instead of saying, I could not control how I got here, but now instead, instead of saying, I can't control how I got here, okay, great, now, but you can't control where you go from here. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah, someone else's fault that I, 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 that I am where I am. Maybe that's true. Maybe somebody put you there. But you are in control of where you go from here. Mm -hmm. The gospel is also counterintuitive because it goes against our nature to be vengeful and hateful to those who have hurt us. It's easier to say, I hate you and never want to see you. I never want to talk to you. And I hope you, uh, you suffer forever rather than father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's harder to look at a repentant abuser in the eyes and say, I forgive you. And I love you as a creation of God. It's easier to say, I, I hate my enemies 
and it's much easier to hate your enemies than to love them. Well, I, I tweeted about this a few weeks ago, and I, th- I think the Bible's very clear that it's a moral action to hate or to love your enemies, not to hate them. And I think it's it's a logical, it flows logically that if we as moral agents are to love our enemies, then it's it makes sense that God also, as the perfect moral being, loves his enemies. And I got some people that are like, wait, are you sure about that? I'm like, if, if it's moral to do, then God must do it. Exactly. And God definitely has enemies. Right. By the way, it's pretty clear about that. <laughs> so the gospel teaches us that though the scars remain, because you're going to have scars, life is suffering, guys. It's just something yeah. you're going to have to deal with. And right. it's not fair either. Life it's not fair not- that some people get abused and some, some don't. It's not fair. Right. We completely agree. Uh, but fair isn't the goal. So the gospel teaches that though the scars remain, we can move on and that God is big enough. Forgive and forget is not in scripture. That's not what I'm saying here. Forgive and forget is not in scripture. This wouldn't, this would both, to forgive and forget would both be foolish and naive. We can't forget. And this doesn't mean you ought to be bitter though either. Seeking justice is different though than seeking vengeance. However, there are times when it's so far removed and the person has changed so much, the question of pursuing that does come up, is it worth it? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's people to this day, I could probably try to dig up the dirt that they've done to me and try to press charges. I could. But at this point, I'm so far removed from it, and that person's so far removed from it, I know that person has changed because I've had conversations with these people. Is it worth it? The whole point of the justice system isn't so that you get vengeance. It's so that the justice is made, brought and that the person hopefully reforms. Yeah, you pay for your sin, and then hopefully they don't do it again. Or And you remove the danger from society and hope that they reform. But if the person's already reformed to me, I'm like, you've already reformed. What's well, At that point, I'm just rubbing your nose in it, you know? So, and, and people can say all the time, well, you know, abusers are master manipulators, blah, blah, blah. You're right. They are, Mm -hmm. which is why we also did the same episode I referenced earlier where I talked about my mother and we get into that more in depth Mm -hmm. and we talk about great safeguards to make sure that abusers don't have, repentant abusers are truly repentant and also don't have access to be able to do their abuse. Yeah. and And a big part of that episode was to not create new unforgivable sins. The Bible's clear. There's one, not many, it's not culturally driven. It's not personally driven. There's only one unforgivable sin. It's not sexual abuse. I'm sorry. It's not. They can. God is big enough to to give grace for someone who repents of even the sins that we think are the worst. The only one is blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which we're gonna have to do a whole vi- episode. I think we will. on. But so. but it, that, and that shows there is true hope in the gospel. Right. If there was nine or ten sins, they're like, well, those nah, you're out. You did that. You're, there's no grace for you. That that's not a gospel message. That's not a hope message. And honestly, we would all fall under that threshold if there was something like that. Correct. Now I want to talk about dangers of victim culture. What that the dangers that victim culture creates. Couple things. It creates the dangers of never moving on, as I discussed before. Having people relive and dwell in their trauma rather than looking ahead to hope. It also gives people power over others which is ironically abusive. Mm -hmm. You give victims abusive power. That's not good, okay? Because abused often become abusers. 
because it's the only way that they usually know how to cope, and they need a healthy way out, such as the gospel. But anyway, it also gives people power over others. Recently, as I said before, someone told me that I'm at least glad the power dynamics have flipped. I mentioned how this is how it, it skewed power. Like, well, at least the, the power dynamics have flipped. It's no longer all the power in the abuser's hand. Now it's in the victims. I'm like, I don't like a power, a, an unbalanced power dynamic at all. I don't no. think that's good. No, it should be founded in scripture. Yeah, it's like no one should have more power over the other one all the time. That 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 allows for more abuse. It would never be out, it should never be about power or authority. It should always be about truth goodness, and righteousness. That's what it should always be about, period. It shouldn't be about power dynamics. That's what, that's what allows abuse, okay? Victimhood is now even sought after today. And you wanted to talk about this a little bit, right? Yeah. Victimhood is even sought after today because it creates status like currency. That's what we talked about with the intersectionality. It's essentially creating a ladder of, well, you have more right to speak on this or whatever else. It, it literally has become a currency. And the problem is when things become a currency is you can expect counterfeits. Exactly. Now, we're not saying that everyone who says they're a victim is faking it. But when you put it on a pedestal, when you it is something that you essentially can trade on, then you can expect counterfeits. Jesse Smollett, looking at you. Is it Smollett? I don't know. <laughs> Jesse Smollett. Um, yeah, or that the NASCAR driver who's like, there's a noose. And it wasn't a noose. It was just the rope they used to pull yeah. down the or um uh not to get too controversial, but uh Kavanaugh, right? Not to get too controversial, but you get the idea here. There's a lot of and a lot of these times the people have come forward that it is fake. And it's because, man, if I experience some sort of abuse and trauma, I now have a currency I can lord over others. You see? And do you know how disrespectful that is to actual abuse victims? Yeah, to real victims. Like Jesse Smollett, what he did was such an affront to people who actually experience racism. If you're exposing that, that someone was raped in the church, I don't think that you're doing it for fame and fortune. I think you're trying to help someone out. And if you're telling... Telling the truth that you were attacked, you were abused, you're raped. I don't think that you're you're doing it for fame and fortune. I think you're doing it because that's the right thing to do, and you're you want justice to be served. So, anyone who is claiming victimhood status for fame and fortune, that you're a problem. You are hurting real victims. You are blurring the lines. You are creating uh, an error of untruth. But can you see how the way we've responded to victimhood has encouraged falseness, which is why whenever so oh, this big breaking story, apparently so-and-so did this, I, my first re reaction now is, is it true? And that's not because, and that's coming from an abuse victim. And mm -hmm. I go, I don't know. I'd have, I want to wait till evidence comes forth. I want to hear everything else before I believe this. And that's not, and that's just because nowadays, Again, to quote Michael Knowles, when uh, when victimhood becomes currency, you can expect there to be counterfeits. It's just the reality. So now, all right, let's uh, dive into the biblical side here, and we got a little bit of time, so we're going to go for it, okay? So here's what the Bible says about victim culture, forgiveness, and moving on. If you're a Christian, I'm going to hold you to the Bible, and I really don't care what you have to say at this point. Because I'm a Christian, this is the word of God, I'm going to go by the authority of the word of God, I don't care about your opinion. 
that's how we can avoid my opinion being greater than your opinion or your opinion being greater than my opinion. What does the Bible say? Right. What does God say? What does objective truth say? Moving on. All right. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into the defenses of why we know scripture is the true word of God right now. I think that'd be an interesting series for us to do here soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but whatever, we'll get there. So, um, Brian, you picked some of these verses right off the bat, so I'll let you go ahead. Yeah. This one that really kind of was weighing on me a lot with this whole thing, um, is, is the idea of the sin of partiality. And this comes from James two, one through seven. It says, my brother showed no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord of glory, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over here or sit down at my feet, have you not made the distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs in the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the, the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are the ones who are blaspheming the honorable name which you were called? So I think we have a lot of agreement in Christian culture about the sin of, of partiality. And there's a lot of discussion about it. But I look at it simply as this. If you are if you are treating someone different based on their life, life circumstances, based on what they can do for you, based on who they are, you have committed this sin of partiality. God is not doing that. He's not letting people into the kingdom based on those things. Right, and including sins, because that's the other thing. So this is one part where we talked about, obviously, status, like we're talking about classism here. But the other thing is that the Bible talks pretty clearly about God doesn't show partiality to sinners either. So... Well, and I think the reason why I think this class is, I'm bringing this up and I think it's relevant here, is because victimhood culture has created a new class. And you are saying, oh, so when you're going, I got to talk to a victim in this certain way. I got to be really careful about what I say because um, they're a victim and I, I just need to treat them special. I got to have them sit here. I got to do these special things with them. Um, I and can't so, say that because that's offensive. Yeah. And that you are now committing the sin of partiality, even though it comes from a very strong and pure thing of your heart, you have committed the sin of partiality. You are treating them different based on their life circumstances, based on their cultural uh, situation. Um, and same thing would go, you know, would, would special needs, right? So um, I, you'd say that my son's special needs. I don't really like that label in general. But the reason why is because I don't want my son to be treated differently. I want him to be treated like he's an image bearer of God. I don't want him to be given special treatment. I don't want excuses made for him. I want him to be loved. I want him to, to have a normal life. And I want people to interact with him like he's a real person. And when people don't, Oh, the thing that drives my wife nuts, they go, oh, you know, I just don't know how you do it. I just, I'm just not that kind of person that could, you know, you're so special that you can deal with someone like that. My wife has a special ed degree and they bring that to her all the time. Oh, that's just, that, those kind of teachers are just so special that they can deal with all that. No, 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 no. You, you've, you've now created partiality. You're saying that, that it takes a special person to deal with people like humans. Right. I don't and, agree. And it was funny because Stacy's been like, what other choice did I have? Mm-hmm. He's my son. I had to adapt. Just like everyone does when they have a kid. No matter what, you adapt to your child. Just because it has quote unquote special needs or not doesn't change the fact that you have to adapt to your child. Yeah. My wife and I have a daughter upstairs. We've had to adapt. It is what it is. 
The other thing is, as, as a victim, it drives me nuts when people would sit there when they knew what I had experienced and they would sit there and tiptoe around a topic. And I just looked at them like, you can say it. I'm not weird about it. Just say it. Um, a funny one that uh, happened recently, something comical, okay, to let's relieve the stress a little bit. So my wife is Asian. That's no surprise to anybody. And there was somebody at church the other day who has been kind of buying into the woke culture a little bit. And uh, she went, just open your eyes. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to say it that way. <laughs> and she's like, I, 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 oh, my gosh. I probably sounded so racist. And then I laughed. And I was like, so well, tell, you tell me what's more racist, saying it? Be saying it because she, she has squinty eyes or not saying it because she has squinty eyes. <laughs> and uh, do you want to treat her like a normal human being? Then maybe don't feel weird if you just mention open your eyes. It's just like, oh, I'm like, yeah, see how that works? <laughs> Same thing with this. Guys, don't show partiality. God doesn't show partiality to sins. He doesn't show partiality to classes or races or genders. Okay? Anyway. So uh, then uh, I'll take Matthew. You can take Galatians. Okay. okay go for it. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 20. Matthew 18 trips up a lot of people, by the way. Um, when, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Point is, a lot of times you ought to always forgive. Now, again, forgive doesn't mean forget, but forgiving is letting go of. And you know why you let go? It's so that they can move on and you can move on. But especially if you want some self-help here, there's a reason why Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Notice how he doesn't say love your neighbor and only your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to love yourself, and you should, because if you don't love yourself, you're going to trash yourself, and that's a real problem. If you want to love yourself, you need to learn to forgive so you can move on. And then you can be healthy and helpful for those around you. Okay? All right. Go ahead and take Galatians. Galatians 6, 1 through 5. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he, de he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. And I think it's really important here, right? We're seeing, um, you know, one, it's, it's self-awareness. It's being careful not to fall into other temptations. But we're also seeing is we're supposed to restore people in a spirit of gentleness, even people that sin against us. Exactly. And notice how it says any transgression. Whoops. That's hard. Uh, Luke 17, 3 through 4. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, what do you do? Oh, we get in trouble for this all the time on this, <laughs> on this podcast. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Must? Must. Not maybe. So, Miss, whoever was a sling into my DMs and you're saying Jesus is enough for healing, you're right. And you know how Jesus tells you to heal? Forgive, let go, move on. I'm Which sorry. It's not easy to do. And certain things are easier to do than others. That's the reality. 
Some things are extremely hard to move on from. Trust me, when you see someone load a gun and, and lock themselves in a room, but ready to blow their own head off, which I have experienced, if you have uh, experienced that, that's a lot harder to let go of than somebody calling you, you know, a douche nozzle on your way to school, right? Like, come on. There's some people that have said some nasty things to my wife like more than a decade ago, and I'm still honestly bitter about it. And oh. that's something I need to work on. But I, like, just real talk here, I understand it's hard. And that's not even an abuse situation. That's just someone saying something nasty to my wife, and I did not did not like it at all. And they're, like, enemy number one to me because of that. But I need to forgive. I need to forgive. Is that painful for you to say? It was painful for me to say. Uh, yes. Uh, and I, Well, you and I have said this before. Forgiveness is, like, a daily thing. Because there are certain days I think of certain people have stabbed me in the back. You know what's actually funny? is that the people who have stabbed me in the back during church splits were harder for me to forgive than my abusers. Wow. I'm not kidding. And it's because those, uh, my abusers, I expected to be abused. So then I got to be the bigger person and learn to forgive. But when people who are my friends and brothers and sisters in Christ betray you and treat you like dirt during some of the worst times of your life, when you're like experiencing miscarriages, your mother-in-law dying tragically mm-hmm. of cancer with six kids at home, much harder to forgive because you're like, you claim the name of Christ that you abandoned me in my time of need. Mm. And I'm sure a lot of you guys have had very close Christian brothers and sisters that have stabbed you in the back. And you probably know how, what Will's talking about, how, how much that hurts and how hard that is to get over, even if it wasn't abuse. Mm-hmm. True. Uh, then... Suffering is expected. This is one of my favorite. I've been just been going through Second Corinthians in Sunday school, and this is just this one's really been laid on my heart. I've been I've thought about this weekly since I went over this. Second um, Corinthians four seven through ten. But we have the treasure in jars of clay. Have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed; perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. You know what this is saying? That compared to the the gospel, to the glory of God, we are just plain jars of clay, but God has chosen to use us, to use us as empty vessels to proclaim his truth, to show life. When we go through troubles, when we're victimized, when we get kicked down, when we're treated like Paul was treated, and just suffered for no reason. And we come out of it. We're not destroyed. We're not forsaken. We're not driven to despair. You know what that reflects on? It doesn't reflect on us. It reflects on Jesus. It shows the power of the gospel. It shows how strong the gospel message is, how transformative it is, how much good fruit it bears. So when you go through suffering, when you have been victimized, and you can pull through, and you can still proclaim the goodness of the gospel, how powerful a message that is. You are being used as a jar of clay by God to show his life in you. Paul, in the beginning of, of 2 Corinthians, is talking about he thought he was going to die. He expected it, and he expected, and he had faith in Jesus that either he would be raised again by Jesus to continue the work, or he would be with him in heaven. But he knew that it'd be a good result, even if he was he was oppressed to the point of death. And we know he was. So he was killed. And this is what he says two chapters later. 
That That's a are, powerful message. That they are persecuted and not destroyed, that they are struck down, but uh, well, they are persecuted but not forsaken, that they are struck down but not destroyed. And victims out there, who those of you who have experienced abuse, you need to understand and take heart to that. You are persecuted but not forsaken. You are struck down but you're not destroyed. Stop wallowing in that self-pity. It will destroy you. You must learn to move on. Whatever it takes. See a therapist, okay? Maybe you need to get away for a little while. Maybe you need to unplug from some things for a little while. Maybe you need to read some books. Whatever it is. For me, a big thing for me was music. Oddly enough, you know, it's funny how people call like heavy metal and like hard rock, like the most destructive thing on planet earth. Yeah, oddly enough was that kind of music that helped me heal. I'm not even kidding. Songs like, you know, I don't know. I don't want to mention the songs at this point now. It might be a little embarrassing, <laughs> but songs that are pretty fantastic. Actually, Breaking Benjamin uh, and Evanescence and those that back in the early 2000s, like grunge rock stuff, um, Linkin Park. The, all those things actually, oddly enough, were helpful for me, even though they were like depressing as heck. It really helped me kind of face the void I needed to face and then get the strength to move on. Yeah. I don't know. I just find that one kind of ironic. It's funny. Like, that's devil music. I'm like, that devil music really helped me during a time of need, man. You don't know what you're talking about. Because honestly, music is a weird way. I don't know. Not to get too much on the music thing, because we got things we got to cover. But music communicates to the soul differently than other things. And it was weird because, again, I'm not a very feeling person. And I'll admit that. That was actually an ironic part when I was on Preacher Boys. His thumbnail was the power of empathy. And I was like, I don't, I didn't get that at all in that (laughs) message. And I'm definitely more apathetic. But can we please talk about something for a minute? Can we stop saying that apathy is always bad, that empathy is always good? Yeah, it depends on the situation. Sometimes you need a little bit of apathy in your life. Sometimes you need a little, I don't care about that. I do not care. I have to stop caring about that because because I – actually, that's a part of the victim with the hood mentality. Sometimes you got to stop for caring about that thing and move on. And then empathy – you can kill people sometimes basically by empathy. But well, that's, that's what happens in a, it, an abusive relationship, right? Like, oh, he just had a hard day at work. Oh, I, I, you know, I, I left the toilet seat down. I, you know, those, those kind of things. You're making excuses. You're being so empathetic to your abuser. The fact that you can't get away. You need right. to be apathetic to that and go, no, I don't deserve to be treated like this. I'm out. Right. Empathy can be a very bad thing. It can be a very good thing. My wife is empathetic. Um, I tend to be more apathetic. You're definitely more apathetic, (laughs) but you also have a strong empathetic nature as well. And you Mm -hmm. and I both do that, right? Like, I mean, I've taken in people in my home because I'm empathetic as well, but I tend to be more apathetic, which isn't always a bad thing. Sometimes if you're apathetic, it allows you a little bit of discernment. And when you're empathetic, it allows you a little bit of discernment. It just really depends on the situation. Yeah. And empathy allows you to to, uh, come alongside someone and understand their suffering. Right. So anyway, let's not go down that tangent too much longer. Okay. Um, Psalm 10. Victimhood culture <laughs> debunked is your little thing you put here. <laughs> Psalm ten fourteen. But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Oh. So God's there for the victims. Exactly. Put your hope in him. Right. Not also not maybe not always in your therapist. Like again, you see your therapist, but just saying, like your hope should be in Christ. Like I feel like some people go to these people hoping that the person will fix them and they get frustrated sometimes when they get out. Like, mm-hmm. I'm still not fixed. It's because you're looking in the wrong place sometimes to fix you. All right, Romans 8, 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, 
or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. <laughs> That's all I can say there. That was, I mean. That's fire. Do you need to add more to that? No, not you can, really. These people are talking about life and death here under persecution and he, that's the language he's using. Man, guys, that's death. That's a bit different than, than suffering and abuse, which is terrible, but not as permanent as death. And I, I think the, a good point to take away from that, too, is that you being victimized is still not horrific enough to separate you from the love of Christ. So he's accessible to you. You are worth it. He yes. cares about you. He loves you. Put your trust in him. In your image, a bearer of him. Mm -hmm. So anyway, John 5, 5 through 9. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, yes, sir. I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up. Take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. That's a talk about a victim of uh, the culture, by the way. A yeah. Crippled man. Victim of the culture. You know, it says he's been there for, was it said 30 years or something like that? 38. 38 years. And the, the whole pool thing is a whole nother. There's a healing pool, and every time it would bubble up uh, from the spring, they actually thought it was like the blessing of the goddess uh, that would heal them. And so he's like, ah, but Jesus, every time I try to go, people are in front of me. I can't get there. And Jesus goes, just take up your bed and walk. <laughs> he looks at someone who's been victimized by society probably more than anyone we know today in most ways and uh, gave yeah. him hope. Again, gospel brings hope. Victimhood culture brings despair. We talked about a little bit already, but I think Paul, Paul's a great example because he suffered a lot. And I think when we're talking about victimhood culture and, and how victims should understand the gospel and Christ, I think Paul's a great example. I think he's a better example than us. Um, and he says in Philippians 1, 12 through 14, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He's seeing that even the bad things that are happening to him is still the work of Christ. Christ is working through those things. He goes, even if they choose to throw you in prison, they choose to do all these things, they decide to stone you, whatever, he's, he's witnessing to his prison guards. He's seeing that him coming through it, he's that jar of clay that we were talking about earlier. He's being used by God. The persecution that he's facing but it's not breaking him is, is showing the glory of God. And notice how he uses his suffering to proclaim the gospel. What if the abuse you experience you could use to help other people move on and be strong and pick up their cross, which is their burdens, and carry it? I have helped more abuse victims probably in my ministry than most any other type of person. And this is because of what I've experienced. And I know so many people think, oh, after Will's comments, how could any abuse victim be helped? I literally was told like, wow, I really hope that this isn't the, the advice you give your abuse victims. Yes, it is. 
and I don't make apologies for it. In fact, and you should worked. be and you should be ashamed that you don't. If you don't want them to move on, you're the problem. I'm oh, All right, here we go. All right. Oh, time to piss everybody We're off. We're canceled again. <laughs> if you aren't trying to get people to move on, you're the problem with victims. You're the reason why they can't move on because you are holding them down under the weight of all their pain and suffering that they've experienced their entire life. And you're the problem. You're the reason that you're encur- you're encouraging it and you're the reason why they won't. This literally pisses me off. When I hear this type of language and the people are like, oh, that better not be your advice, then what advice are they supposed to tell, supposed to have? What are they supposed to follow? Yeah. What are they supposed to do? No, don't move on. Don't move on. You know what? Just sit there and suffer. You're the problem, people who think that way. Oh, well, you don't understand my experience. I'm just processing and I don't need anyone challenging me right now. No, you need to be challenged because you need to get up because you know what? You have to face your demons and you have to accept them that they happened, that they, they took place, and you have to take some steps forward. You have to take responsibility for your life because you are not responsible for what people did to you, but damn it, you are responsible for where you go from here. I make no apologies with that. I, I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> All right, are we clear? I even I even got spicy there. <laughs> spicy. It, seriously, I had to stop myself from saying so much more. Um, it literally... <laughs> See? I do better when I'm angry. <laughs> Y'all should just be happy about that. A- be angry and sin not. All right. Paul suffered intensely, all right? Now let's talk about blaming others. The fr- when was the first time, Brian, we saw somebody blame somebody else for their misgivings? Oh, in Genesis. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? Oh, yeah, you're laying up the note that's right here in front of me. Genesis. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, so you know, God's talking to Adam. like, what did you do? He's like, well, God, it was you that put this woman with me, right? Genesis 3, 11 through 12. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? By the way, God's omniscient here, he knows. Um, the man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Literally, <laughs> we all, we've all done this, right? You Raise your hand if you blame God for something. And look, Adam did it first, okay? He blames God for the beautiful, perfect wife that he made for him. And it's your fault, God, because you gave her to me and she did it. No responsibility. That's the sin of complacency. That's the sin of, of passing blame. And, and we see that in victimhood culture. I don't have to do that. It's their fault. I can, I can avoid this because I'm a victim. It's, it, we see this at the fall, and it has continued throughout all humanity. And thankfully, the gospel and the blood of Christ is powerful enough to forgive even that. And we have to stop blaming other people for our own actions. We have to take responsibility. You know, you experience abuse and you will feel, and you might have scars. You might have some deep scars. Mm-hmm. But you got to stop blaming them for your own behavior and for what you do with your life. Because the, if you keep laying it at the feet of that abuser, you, you know what? You will never find closure. You just won't. It's just, it's sad. Um, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 13, verses 11 through 12. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at... uh, Mikmash, why, why are you giving me a difficult verse? <laughs> I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. 
It wasn't my fault, Samuel. It was yours. (laughs) (laughs) Is that that a first Samuel chapter 13 gaslight? Yeah. Y'all might need to read that yourselves because I butchered it. So um, I have a third grade read level. Um, (laughs) So how to overcome victimhood victimhood mentality. How do you do that? Well, we kind of hinted to it throughout this. Yeah, and I think hopefully this is a, this is a, a helpful formula. Um, I borrowed some ideas from the internet, some ideas that I've been contemplating for a while, um, but hopefully this helps. So, step one: know the know the benefits of victimhood mentality, and the benefits are not good benefits as far as escaping victimhood mentality, but there are other reasons why they keep people there, uh, and we've talked about this: avoiding responsibility. It, it creates attention, it creates validation, um, and you can uh, have risk avoidance. I don't have to do that, that thing that's uncomfortable, I'm a victim. I don't have to do that thing that's gonna push me out of my comfort zone, I'm a victim. And you kinda, you kinda sit there and it spirals. It's a negative feedback loop. Um, next step is be okay with not identifying as a victim. Like Will said, he doesn't identify himself as a victim anymore. He only brings it up because we're, we're just trying to come alongside the current cultural uh, idioms about that so that at least he can be listened to. (laughs) In fact, I used to not be very open about it, and it was one of the funniest things in youth ministry. Well, Pastor Will, you just don't understand. You just don't understand what I've been through. You know, I experienced this and this. I'm like, okay, let me tell you some things about me. I experienced, and I just give a list. And you just see the floor fall from underneath them, and they go, wow, I've never experienced that stuff before. And I go, exactly you can have a better attitude too, and you can move on and you can rise above this. And it's been powerful. It has been helpful. Uh, I'm now more open about it just because we have a platform uh, on the church split, so now we kind of have to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So um, now I just kind of mention it because I'm also an open book and I know no shame. <laughs> That's true. All right. Next step is taking responsibility. And this isn't taking responsibility for the abuse that you suffered. It's taking responsibility for your own life for your own walk with Christ, for your own sanctification, uh, for the, the, essentially the trajectory of your, your, the rest of your life. Because you can't take responsibility for your abuser. You can't. Hopefully you should take. Re- hopefully they take responsibility for themselves at some point. Because that's the other issue with victims is that sometimes victims blame themselves for their abuse. Like, oh, if only I did this better, if only I didn't allow them to do that, maybe if I did. Stop trying to take responsibility for your abuser. You can't. Yeah. You can take responsibility for yourself. Also, highly recommend reading this book here. Tabby, insert it. Uh, 12 Rules for Life by Dr. Jordan Peterson and, of course, his follow-up book. I think those will greatly be of service to you if you've experienced harsh things in your life. Actually, if you just are alive, you should probably read that book. It's a good book. It's actually probably one of the most life-changing books you'll ever read. Would you agree? Oh, I loved it. Yeah. Perfect. Okay, continue. Next point would be agree with God on what sin is. We touched on this earlier. It's it's not that just your abuser was sinful, but that you're sinful too. And their sin, while very grievous and terrible and affected you in a terrible way, is not worse than yours. It's both sins, theirs and yours, can be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. But it requires repentance. And repentance is, par- is partly agreeing with God on what sin is. And I think we have to constantly remind ourselves of that because that's a hard thing for us to continue to understand and and grapple with. Um, And the next one, um, find your true identity in Christ. Don't identify as a victim. We talked about this with Brandy when she was stuck in her identifying herself in her sexuality. Same thing. There is no slave nor free, Jew or Greek, male or female in Christ. 
It is Christ. Put your identity in Christ, and that is a powerful place to be. And if you find your identity in Christ, you can help other, people's to, other people to find Christ through your own suffering, as Paul did. Um, then, of course, the last step is to forgive, which means to let go. Uh, let go of the debt, clean the, clear the debt. And that's not popular nowadays. Because when people, bottom line is when someone says you should, I would never tell an abuse victim that they should forgive their abuser. Jesus literally says, if you don't forgive others, I won't forgive you. That's intense. Mm -hmm. And now what I want to do is, uh, this is the very, very tail end here, so we, this won't take long. But a couple of verses that stuck out to me that I wanted to tell you that gave me encouragement. Philippians 3, 13 through 14 says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Notice the words here, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Notice how it's not just walking forward, straining. There's effort. It's work. It's hard. But forgetting that which lies behind. And you know, you'll notice how he says that that which lies behind. Do you know what that means? The negative, all the abuse, all the horrible things, put those behind you. But also the good things. That's not <laughs> a popular thing. But you don't get to sit there and be like, well, I did a good thing. And you get to ride that wave for a while because mm -hmm. you did a good thing. No, forgetting that which lies behind, all the good and the bad, and straining forward the mark of Jesus Christ. Also, a thing to note here, guys, this is written, these are all written by Paul, who suffered abuse. He was an abuser, by the way, and mm -hmm. a murderer. He was an abuser, a torturer, and a murderer who then became um, a Christian and was abused by others, persecuted by others, stoned, and they all thought he was dead. And what does the crazy man do? Walk right back into that city. Walks right back <laughs> in. Y'all better repent. <laughs> He's a madman. Talk oh, about boldness in Christ. Yeah, he was beaten and he was scorned, yet these are his own words. Romans 8, 17. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if it, I indeed, if indeed, sorry, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. We suffer with him so we can be glorified with him. Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only that we rejoice in our sufferings, rejoicing in them, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Wow. I, that is why I said, you people who let people sit there and wallow in their self-pity for forever, you're the problem. Suffering creates endurance. You know, when I was experiencing abuse and I got, and I really sought Jesus Christ at 17, I remember sitting in my room going, I must endure the suffering. And you know, when it says rejoice, you know, you know, he's not speaking figuratively here. He means it because you know, what's cool about suffering and experiencing such pain, like what, and you already know you've been good friends with me for, and we've been best friends for a few years now. Yeah. I've kind of lost, I'm lost I'm losing I've track. lost track. Um, our friend anniversary is coming up, but um, when it comes to our friendship, right, you've seen us through suffering, and I've suffered even worse other things before that. My entire life for about 28 years was mostly an uphill fight. 
That's why I tell people a lot of times I'm more at peace at war sometimes than I am actually at peace. <laughs> uh, I'm used to being at war. But when I was going through that, I realized that I could build strength through my suffering. If I can get through this, and that's why I say all the time, people are like, how do you and Callie have such a great marriage? I'm like, trust me, after all the crap I've been through, my wife doing something that's a little annoying is nothing to me. She, I didn't get a plate or a pot hurled at my face today. I'm doing pretty great. <laughs> well, and I think the cool thing too at the end here, it produces hope. Well, right. And, and hope is not this, the way we use it in our current culture of, I hope I get a Lamborghini. I hope I win the lottery. I hope my boss doesn't yell at me for showing up two hours late today. Hope is is assurance. You know it's going to happen. It's a trust. It's trust because of the character of Jesus. And you can put your hope in Christ after you have gone through all the suffering and he has pulled you through it. So again, suffering produces endurance. It builds strength. And endurance produces character. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. That your endurance will produce character. It'll make you better. I used to be a vile person. And now I can say that my character has greatly improved. Because of suffering. I would not be the person I am today if it wasn't for all the suffering. People have asked me before, oh, man, but wouldn't you change it? Like, people have asked me, would you change that? Would you change what you've experienced? Not for the world. And I mean every word I just said. I, will I would never change the suffering I've experienced in my life. It's not that you're looking for suffering, but you just aren't going to change it because you see I, the character it built. Exactly. I would never want to. If I could do, If I could hit life all over again... There's probably a few things I wouldn't do just because they were sins, right? <laughs> I wouldn't sin. I wouldn't want to sin. But if I could do life all over again, I would choose the exact path I know now because all that I see God's hand. And I know for a fact that my suffering created endurance and that my endurance produced a character that I never would have had before. So it's the reality. Uh, I think you would say the same thing with what you guys have been through. Mm -hmm. With what... Yeah. Everything with Brayden, what you guys went through there, everything yeah. you and Stacey went through in marriage, it's helped create good character. Because yeah. your character is probably, how was your character back when you were 20? Terrible. I'm really surprised my wife even decided to date me, <laughs> to be so, honest. And usually through your suffering is how you grow. Well, I kind of joke with my wife now, uh, whenever we have a little bit of hard time going, I'm like, you're not going anywhere. Because we've, we've been through fire. We've been through, I think, is, is some of the worst things we could have possibly been through. And now that I'm through it, I have character from it. I have endurance from it. And I have hope that our marriage will continue. Right. And then finally, this verse gave me a lot of encouragement during a lot of dark times in my life. Um, but so for those of you who maybe have suffered, maybe this is helpful for you. Maybe it's not. I don't know. First Peter 5.10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This is why victimhood culture is anti-gospel. It leaves you with a skewed morality and no hope. But with Jesus Christ and the gospel, you have a hope because he will restore you, he will confirm you, he will strengthen you, and he will establish you. Because your suffering creates endurance, which creates character, which that character turns into a hope in Jesus Christ. And Peter's not minimizing being a victim. 
He's minimizing the time in which you have been a victim. Because compared to eternity, our time on earth is just a brief moment of time. So let's not wallow in it. Let's do what we can to bring others to Christ. Let's let's take advantage of the time that we've been given because through what we've gone through, we have that hope that we will have eternal life. And that is far greater than all the tiny sufferings in this tiny time that we've been on earth. Exactly. So for all the outrage that we had in our last episode or two episodes ago, it depends on what order of release. Cause we I always think it's film. technically three episodes ago. Is it really? Mm-hmm. I don't know. We, depending on the order of release, we, we film these in different order <laughs> and then we release them. So it gets very confusing, but because we'll go, Oh no, now that because of an experience that we just had, we need to release this one. Right. But guys, after all the outrage we experienced, that's where I'm coming from. That's why I said, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of hearing, Oh, I was molested. And it ruined my life. No, it didn't. Oh, you know, I want my, I want my abuser to suffer in hell or be in prison for the rest of his life. You shouldn't. You should want him to repent. I meant every word I said. Whether you liked how I said it, I don't care. I believe in the power of the gospel. And I've seen the gospel change abusers. And I've worked with people in prison. There's one guy I wrote for two years uh, in prison. And he came to church after that. And it was so weird to meet a friend I had written for two, for two years. And you know what? It was a random letter that got dropped in my church. He wrote a bunch of letters, sent them out to a bunch of churches, asking for help with his people to correspond with him to get to know God. And come to find out I was the only one who responded. <laughs> Which is super terrible for you churches out there. Mm-hmm. That's like a testament to the state of our churches in general right now. Yep. Um, and I was busy. Ourselves. And you know what? I was writing him like 10-page letters. Because I knew no one else cared about him. And we all knew you're verbose, so. (laughs) Yeah, we all know I'm wordy. Um, I also think, so uh, growing up, um, I don't know if my buddy watches this or listens to this. He might know who I'm talking about, that I'm talking about him and his family. There was an incident that took place um, with a good friend of mine growing up. Uh, and you know, what's funny is I haven't talked to him in a little while, but him and I were like really good friends. Really. We're both really nerdy. Uh, I kid you not. We won't talk to each other for six months to a year. And the moment we talk to each other on the phone, boom, instantly talking about mass effect threes, terrible ending. Like it's just, we always find a way to get to our nerdy stuff. But the, what's funny is that what's crazy is that. So his brother was involved in a breaking and entering and he had a, and they had guns and they didn't know that people were there and he ended up shooting a guy in the leg. And wow. this guy went in prison. And his mom and him, one of the biggest things for them was that they saw the depravity of the son, that he got all his years, but that there was hope, an eternal hope in Jesus Christ that could redeem their son, that could restore their family. And, you know, that is a powerful statement. And that's a powerful hope. And I don't want you guys to fall into victimhood culture. I said what I said on it for, we said what we said for a reason. I wanted to create a fault line. I wanted to create a bold proclamation of the gospel that what you believe is trash in the victimhood culture. Mm-hmm. And I'm sick and tired of the narrative. You're, if you're a victim, you can get past it. Your path might be a little bit different than somebody else's, but you're stronger than you know. You just have to find that inner strength that we all have. You're stronger than you know, and God is stronger than you know. Exactly. But it said right there, we are more than conquerors. Mm -hmm. You can conquer it. You don't need to let it control you. You're an image bearer of God. You're a child of the divine. You think some earthly 
temporal tragedy is going to sit there and demean your ability through Jesus Christ to overcome that? No. I don't buy it for a second. I know. This is a far... I think this might be our most emotive, like, heart-to-heart episode I've ever done in my life. But it's because I'm actually having to speak to how I moved on. I don't know. I don't know how you feel right now, but this is definitely probably the most vulnerable I've ever been. Yeah. Yeah, this isn't an easy topic to talk about. And I and I hope we've caveated it enough. I hope we've clarified things so that it can't be taken out of context. And But also, if you're an outrage mob, we don't care. Yeah. But I also <laughs> hope that it, it helped. I hope that it made sense. And I hope that we accomplished our goal, which was pointing back to the gospel. Exactly. So, guys, look to Jesus Christ. He is your eternal hope. You have a home in him. And you can overcome. And guys, if you've been an abuser, what? Did you know that you have redemption through Jesus Christ and you could repent? Maybe if we need to find your victim, the victim of your abuse, and just let them know that you truly are repenting. You're so sorry for anything that you caused. Don't try to build a friendship there. Maybe you just need to confess. Maybe you need to confide in somebody. Maybe if you've experienced abuse, maybe this episode could help you go, man, you know what? I have been holding on to that. Maybe I do need to let go, and I don't want this to control me anymore. So anyway, hope this episode was helpful for somebody. I know if, if anything else was, I, I don't know. I had to kind of relive some things for a minute there. Um, yeah, it's getting real. It's weird every time that happens when it's like, oh well, n- now y'all made me re. It's, y'all didn't make me do anything, <laughs> but it's like, oh now here I am reliving it, rethinking it. So now let's go. Like this is what it feels to be human again. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, go back. To, I want to go back to the robot. Um, but honestly, guys, I hope this is helpful for somebody, and I hope maybe this can help bring peace to somebody. And uh, just know this, we are unapologetically steadfast on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We make no apologies there. So any other words there, Brian? No, I, I, hope, I hope it made sense, and I hope it was uh, compelling. All right, guys. Well, you know what we do here? Don't forget to like and subscribe. Leave us a five-star review. Tell us how maybe, perhaps, you've been challenged with this. Um, if nothing else, guys, uh, we thank you guys for taking the time to listen. We know we're long-winded, but I hope it's worth it. And uh, take care, and God bless.